This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. Hi everyone, welcome into the Black and Blue Report. Happy Monday and greetings from the Auctioner Sports Performance Center here in Metairie. Hope this Monday finds you well and it was a great weekend for your New Orleans Saints and your New Orleans Pelicans. Both teams get a win yesterday. The Saints get their fourth straight win. They beat the Packers 26-17. And at nighttime, the Pelicans had a 22-point lead, lost it, but then came back and got the win over the Lakers 119-112. Of course, we'll have a full recap on both games here on today's show. We'll hear from both writers of both websites. John DeShazer, senior writer from NewOrleansSaints.com, and Jim Eichenhofer, Pelicans writer for Pelicans.com. Let's talk about that Saints win over the Packers 26-17. to It was a, a rough start for the Saints. They were down 14-7 at the half. A soggy and rainy day there at Lambeau with uh, the running game getting going early for New Orleans. Mark Ingram, 22 carries, 105 yards, a touchdown. Alvin Kamara, 9 carries, 57 yards. Drew Brees, 331 yards in the air. One touchdown, two interceptions. And how about Ted Ginn Jr. yesterday? Seven receptions, 141 yards. Michael Thomas, seven receptions and 82 yards. Just a great day overall for the Saints. A grinded-out victory over the Packers. Brett Hundley, just 12 of 25 for 87 yards. Uh, had a couple big runs, a uh, 44-yarder, including that touchdown uh, in the first half. And Aaron Jones, a big day for the Packers. 17 carries, 131 yards. But as far as receiving goes... You held Randall Cobb to two catches, Jordy Nelson to one catch, Devontae Adams with two, and I know you had Brett Hundley making his first career start, but the Saints defense, as it has in the last four games, have really stepped up, and now they lead the NFC South, sitting at 4-2 and two after all three other teams lost last night, and yesterday the Falcons lose to the Patriots, Panthers lose to the Bears, and the Buccaneers lose to the Bills, so there are the Saints, sitting at 4-2, and 3-1 and one on the road, more importantly, heading into Sunday's game at home against the Chicago Bears. We'll see another young quarterback, this time Mitch Trubitsky, and we'll hear from John DeShazer about that as well. Now for the Pelicans side, 119-2-112, a winner for New Orleans. They shot 56% from the field. Again, a 22-point lead, and it uh, kind of went away quickly. Not quickly, but it went away, more importantly. And the Pelicans, though, were able to come back in the fourth and get that win by seven points. Anthony Davis, 27 points, 17 rebounds. DeMarcus Cousins, 22 points, 11 rebounds, eight assists. So two assists shy of a triple-double. And how about Jameer Nelson, who spent four hours in a car yesterday, six hours on a plane, came to the game, played 24 minutes, five points, five assists, had a huge three-pointer to kind of seal the deal for the Pelicans in the fourth. And he's a, a nice pickup already, and we look forward to having Jameer Nelson, who was weighed by the Denver Nuggets last week to make room for Richard Jefferson. Now Jameer Nelson's on our side, and we look forward to having him, especially with the absence of Rajon Rondo. He'll be a huge pickup for the Pelicans, and now they're on the road for two more. They'll take on the Portland Trail Blazers tomorrow night in their home opener, and then the DeMarcus Cousins returns to Sacramento. They'll take on the Kings on Thursday night. So uh, before we get to break, DeMarcus Cousins spoke to our very own Sean Kelly right after the game in our walk-off interview. He was our star of the game. Here's what Sean and DeMarcus talked about last night. One of our stars of the game is DeMarcus Cousins, who nearly had a triple-double tonight with 19, or excuse me, 22 points, 11 rebounds. 
and eight assists. DeMarcus, congratulations on the first win of the season. They gave you a push there in the second half. What finally got you guys through for the win? Uh, you know, we cracked down defensively. Uh, we let up a lot, you know, um, down the stretch, and uh, we gave them life in this game. And, you know, with a young team like this, with a, you know, being in their home crowd, we can't we can't allow that. So uh, we just got to better ourselves each game. We keep making these same mistakes, but uh, you know we're aware of it and we got to correct them. There are some of those mistakes, as you mentioned, consistent through the first three. But it seems like Demarcus, in each of the first three games, you guys have added something on the positive side too. What would that be tonight? Uh, ball movement was was uh, pretty good this game. Um, first half, our energy was incredible. For the most of the first half, uh, a little bit of the second. Uh, defensively, we were pretty. We were pretty solid, but uh, we can't we can't keep having these let-ups throughout the game. You guys seem to now, especially you and Anthony, I don't know if it's a sixth sense type of thing, but watching you two work has is, is been more fun each game, and while the numbers have been somewhat similar, it seems like you're taking what you're given. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, no, uh, this team goes as far as AD takes us, and um, he's the heartbeat of this team, so... Uh, I'm his Robin, so I'm, I'm, I'm here to help him out. <laughs> I, I kind of like two Batmans, if you ask me. Uh, However you want to put yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. What was the impact of Jameer Nelson tonight? Uh, you know, just a sound veteran. Uh, he knows how to play the game. Came in and hit a, a huge shot for us down the stretch. Um, you know, just to come in on the, on the fly like he did and, you know, just had that type of impact on the game, that's incredible. So, uh, you know, uh, we look forward to him throughout. Uh, we look forward uh, to his impact throughout the rest of the season. Boogie, you get your first win of the season. You get your first win of this road trip. Does it kind of clear things up a little bit? Does it take something off of your all's shoulders in any way? Uh, we knew it was coming. Uh, it was just a matter of time. Uh, we've gotten better with each game. Uh, I think we're a lot better than the record shows, but uh, it's a long season, so we got a lot of work to do. Look, uh, playing in Portland's not so easy. Right. <laughs> what is it about that place, and, and, and what kind of challenge do you anticipate on Tuesday night? Um, well, one, they have, they have a... a, a the arena is pretty crazy. <laughs> Home games are amazing there. So, uh, you know, they have some pretty good fans. Uh, they got two electric players and, uh, you know, Dame and CJ. Uh, just that alone is a tough battle. So uh, it's going to take some uh, some good team defense to kind of slow them down. It, to stop them is, you know, that's a mission. But, uh, you know, to try to contain them, that's, that's the best thing we can do. I enjoyed watching your work tonight. I'm thankful for your time after the game. Congratulations. All right, thank you. And, of course, you can get a full recap on Pelicans.com and the Pelicans mobile app. And, of course, if you missed any of the interviews on the Saints side, be sure to log on to NorleansSaints.com and their mobile app. All right, when we come back, we'll recap a Saints win with John DeShazer and then followed by Jim Eikenhofer on Pelicans.com. There are plenty of good reasons to attend the Sanderson Farms Championship. About 150,000 good reasons. Batson Children's Hospital, part of Children's of Mississippi, averages 150,000 patient visits a year. And each year, proceeds from the championship support these patients by donating to Friends of Children's Hospital. Last year, the championship raised over $1 million for Friends. So join us for the Sanderson Farms Championship, October 23rd through 29th at the Country Club of Jackson. Good reason for a great time. 50 years ago, a groovy new golf gig first teed off in Mississippi. The tournament now known as the Sanderson Farms Championship. To celebrate, join us October 23rd through 29th at the Country Club of Jackson for first-class golf, waves of fun, and 100% natural Sanderson Farms chicken, all to raise money for Friends of Children's Hospital. Don't miss this 50th anniversary celebration. 
Visit SandersonFarmsChampionship.com for tickets today. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. All right, as we mentioned in our first segment, Saints big winners over the Green Bay Packers, 26-17, to and uh, fresh off the, the plane ride from Green Bay, and now touchdown here in New Orleans. John DeShazer, senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com, joins me here in Studio BJD. I know I'm sure it's always great going to Lambeau Field just for you know nostalgia, the historic factor of it, but I'm sure it's even better you get to go to Lambeau and come back with a win. Yeah, I mean, that's four in a row for the Saints. And, and let me tell you something, that you can get a sense of the excitement. Now, we've seen, you know, small patches of it when the Saints might win on a, a Sunday and you come home and there is a, a little buzz going around town. But now that they won four straight and they're leading the NFC South division, by the way, uh, it, it really is palpable. You can feel and get a sense of, of the excitement building. And I think that's obviously one of the things that, uh, Coach Payton is trying to keep tamped down around his team. You don't want these guys to feel like they're world conquerors, and yet they've got every reason to feel pretty good about what they've been doing, man. Look, it, it's I didn't realize until I started working for this team, and you hear coaches that, man, it sounds like such a cliche, but you see it take shape. It's hard to win a game. Yeah. It's hard to win a game. And uh, so, you know, to have one four straight, and I don't care if you're playing the, the sisters of the poor, I, you know, hey, if they line up out there, then you got to hit them and you got to you got to execute. And uh, and they won four straight. So, you know, so give them credit, man. It it started rough and now it's smoothed out to a certain degree. Ask the Atlanta Falcons about winning a game who's lost three yeah. straight and yeah. <laughs> can't beat the AFC East now after being yeah. the NFC North. So, yeah, it's definitely you can take them whenever you can get them. Um, it didn't look great in the first half there for uh, for the Pel- not for the Pelicans game except for the Saints, but then they started turning around in the second half. What changed after halftime? I think really what they what they did was I think they they stuck with the game plan and they didn't basically they just didn't panic. Um, Drew Brees throws interceptions on the first two possessions, and even then, uh, the defense which had given up a seventy five yard uh, touchdown drive on on first walk out on the field pretty much stiffened up and held just long enough for the offense to kind of pull back into it and creep back and you know they got they started getting some stops defensively and, and they needed to, to buckle up a little buckle down a little bit in the first half and then the second half I think they just stayed with what they did um you know at at certain point you realize we're playing against a first-time starter at quarterback Brett Brett Hundley uh, who's extremely talented, but again, a guy who had only thrown 44 passes in his career before yesterday. And so you got to figure, okay, if you can just get him to a point where it's on his shoulders and take away some of that running game because Green Bay shredded the Saints on the ground in the first half, but they tightened up run defense in the second half. They kind of put it on Brent Hundley's shoulders, forced him to make a few plays, and he got outside of the pocket a few times, man. Like Cam Jordan left probably two or three sacks on the field that he wishes he could get back because Hundley was just elusive and strong enough to get away from him. And then the Saints really kind of stayed with it offensively. They ran the ball better in the second half. Uh, the offensive execution got better in the second half. Drew Brees mentioned, you know, the two interceptions basically were his fault, just bad thrown balls. And, you know, hey, sometimes it happens. And he was able to bounce back in the second half. And, and, and they just really just stayed patient and stayed with it as much as anything. They, You know, the word that they were floating around was resilient and resiliency, and, and they showed a lot of it in the second half. I'll get to the defense in a little bit because I think they deserve to be talked about right now. But the running game, I think, really stuck out to me between Kamara and Ingram. We've talked about it for the last couple of weeks, and especially since the Adrian Peterson trade where it's now Kamara and Ingram. 
in the backfield, I mean, how much have they been, how huge have they been in these last few weeks here, not only in the running game, but also the catching game? Well, if you got two guys on the field in Kamara and Ingram who the defense really doesn't know what you're going to do because both of those guys are receivers and both of them are running backs. So you can't just gang up, and, and no offense against Adrian Peterson and, and no slight issued here, but when Adrian Peterson was on the field, you kind of felt, yeah, it's probably about 80%, 90, 90% chance the Saints are going to run the ball. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. you know, Adrian Peterson is not known to be a receiver, and you know, in Minnesota he probably didn't have to do a whole ton of you know, pass rush blocking and that kind of thing. But with Ingram and Kamara, both of those guys are a lot more versatile. Um, they give you a lot more weaponry in terms of being receivers. And now they're running it with, you know, some passion and authority and not that they weren't in the beginning. I think a lot of that had to do with the Saints falling behind in those first two games and, and you got to abandon the run, so to speak, and, and throw it a lot more. But the offensive line's got to get some kudos for being able to, to open up some, some creases and get those guys, you know, to the second level of the defense. And, and, but both of those guys have really shown that what they probably needed as much as anything was to be able to get into a rhythm, get more touches, and get a feel for the game. When you're trying to do that with three running backs, it's probably just too hard. Now let's go to the defense because I feel like nationally, I don't think the Saints are getting enough credit as far as their defense. But I think now, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I feel like there's been enough of a sample size to talk about how good this defense has been since the 0-2 start. Well, when they were 0-2 and they gave up 1,000 yards and they were giving up six touchdown passes and no interceptions, right. everybody was jumping on them. Beating the, they made a pretty quick assessment of them then, so why not make an assessment of them now? I mean, this has been four straight games where they're allowing, you know, you don't count two of those touchdowns against Detroit because two of those were defensive touchdowns. They're allowing 13.5 points per game for a four-game stretch. They're allowing, I think it's a right around 270 yards a game uh, for a four-game stretch. They forced, you know, 10 turnovers, eight of them interceptions and two fumble recoveries. They've been able to get, I think, 14 sacks during those four games. All of those are incredible numbers defensively, and I don't care who you're playing against. And I know people say they got Carolina when Cam Newton was – not quite in in rhythm yet and they got you know Miami and it was Jay Cutler and Jay Cutler is you know Jay Cutler and you get you know Matthew Stafford in Detroit and Detroit might have been a little bit beat up and Matthew Stafford had injured his ankle that week before and then yesterday and rather than Aaron Rodgers you get Brett Hundley you know if Still the, gotta stop them. Hey, and if the Saints were going out there with backup cornerbacks, nobody was saying, well, but they were backup cornerbacks. Mm -hmm. And then when they gave up those 450 yards, nobody would say that. So you got to give these guys credit and, and you line up and play against whoever's out there on the field. And what they've shown is they're competing, they're making plays, uh, they're getting off the field, uh, they're getting stops in, in critical times. They had a couple of penalties defensive yesterday that I would imagine some guys probably took the wrath of. Peyton yesterday and maybe this morning because those are the type of situations that if they crop up at the wrong time against the wrong wrong opponent, they extend drives. No, that, those are the plays that will get you beat. But yet they still were able to do enough things. I mean, it's impressive what they've been able to do in terms of you know forcing turnovers and getting at the quarterbacks and getting off the field on third down. And even when they do allow some some yards, they've been you know it's been more bend and not break. Uh, so I hadn't seen this kind of stretch from this defense since probably, the, I guess, the playoff season in 13. Isn't it crazy that 
you know, after the 0-2 start, you've won four straight now. And looking at the NFC playoff picture, and I know it's still early as the Saints have only played six games, but if the Eagles lose tonight, you are, as far as the loss column, have the same amount of losses as everyone at the top of the NFC. It, I mean, it's amazing how far the Saints have come in such a short amount of time. And now, especially with, unfortunately for the Packers and Rodgers, that injury, but the NFC is so wide open right now. Yeah, it, it's incredible. I mean, you know, when, when the Saints were 0-2 and, and everybody was saying, you know, you know, the, all the coaches were boneheaded idiots and all the players were bums, you know, you look back to that and everybody's saying, look, you, you just need to win one. You know, you can only play the one that's in front of But if you feel one, there's a different feel. And the Saints got that one win in Carolina and all of a sudden it flipped and they kind of felt like, okay, what we were saying that we weren't doing correct, we corrected it against Carolina, and if we continue to play at you know just this level, then we'll be okay. And they kept saying that, and uh, but it's hard to it's hard to digest that when you don't win, but when you finally get something in the win column, you get some skins on the wall. Now all of a sudden, people looking at you, and you look at yourselves and say, "See, we knew exactly what we were talking about." And it's not that we were bragging about it, but you know we were we were on the right track. We just needed to get a few things corrected and get it going right. And now you're leading the division, and now you face the Chicago Bears, who have a rookie quarterback in there, Mitch Trubisky. They get the win over Carolina. Not a lot of tape on Mitch, but you still have a, a young quarterback who not only can throw the ball, but also can run. Yeah, he's only completed four passes against Carolina. Um, and one of them was a 70-yarder, but only completed four passes. So I would imagine they're, going, they're coming on the road against a hot Saints team. And if I'm, you know, Coach John Fox, then the first thing I'm going to say is, how do I take pressure off my young quarterback? But well, they're going to want to run the ball. The same thing as Green Bay did yesterday. You want to run the ball to alleviate some of that pressure of a young quarterback being on the road. Uh, but, yeah, he's extremely talented. And um, I don't necessarily know that the Saints took for granted Brett Hundley yesterday, but he's just a big, elusive kid who, who's fast and, and strong and athletic. And it looks like Mitchell Trubisky is is along those lines in terms of athleticism. But if you're the Saints, you still want to put it in the rookie quarterback's hands because you like what you've been seeing from your pass rush. You like what you've been seeing from your secondary. Uh, you like what you've been seeing in terms of having a team, you know, have to, to transfer the ball so many times, whether it be pass or run, and, and force some turnovers. So if you're the Saints, you want to put it in that in that young quarterback's hands and see if he can and dare him to beat you. All right, so Saints looking to go 5-2 and two after the game against the Bears, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about another win next Monday. J.D., I appreciate it, my friend. Always good to be here. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about a Pelicans win with Jim Meikenhofer from Pelicans.com. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top-quality ingredients, it would grow to become something that connected us. The neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe. Original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more. And always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. What is big? Big is Drew Holiday. Red hot from the perimeter and ice at the foul line. Big as DeMarcus Cousins, a 6'11 defensive flamethrower that vaporizes man-on-man coverage. Big as Anthony Davis, a laser-guided missile of athleticism aimed at the rim. Come see the Pels play LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers Saturday, October 28th at the Smoothie King Center. Visit pelicans.com for tickets. 
New Orleans Pelicans, do it big. This is Anthony Davis, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. All right, time to wrap things up here on the Black and Blue Report. But first, we have to talk about last night's win over the Los Angeles Lakers. Pelicans, that is. They beat the Lakers 119-112. to 112. Joining me now from Portland, Oregon, is Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com. Jim, I hope you've had uh, numerous cups of coffee, and I appreciate you joining me today. Thanks. I'm not much of a coffee guy, I have to say. But I, I, I did have some hot chocolate this morning. It's one of those days in Portland, like, it seems like we get every single time we come here pretty much, except for we're in the spring, uh, where it's dreary and gloomy and rainy, so, but I'm, I'm ready to go after I got, uh, a trip into Starbucks already. And I'm sure you got a little jolt after the big win for the Pelicans last night. It was scary at times, a 22-point lead that diminished there in the second half, but overall, I thought the Pelicans overcame a little bit of adversity to get the win. Um, what did you take away from last night's game? Yeah, I think that was definitely one of the things, biggest things to take away is over the last few years, this team obviously does not have a good road record. And part of that is that there's been times when adversity strikes, the other team goes on a big run, and you never recover from it. Whereas last night was obviously the the opposite of that, where the Lakers went on a huge surge end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, but you were able to withstand that, go on an 11-0 run and, and – end up with the bottom line as a as a good road win to get your first of the season. Let's talk about why that 22-point lead kind of diminished. What kind of got away from the Pelicans in that second half that led the Lakers back in the game? I thought the Lakers went with a small lineup. They started, you know, shooting more threes, making some of them, getting some fast break opportunities. And also, I thought the Pelicans kind of helped that cause by starting to settle for more jumpers. It seemed like they went away a little bit with a little bit from what worked earlier in the game. The first half was incredible how many easy baskets they got and not just easy baskets but good just good looks like layups right in the paint. Um the craziest stat that we saw was they were 23 for 28 on two-pointers in the first half which is incredible. But um it seemed like they maybe you maybe we can credit this somewhat to the Lakers defense. I'm sure that this will be something they look at on the tape today, but the Lakers defense may have pushed them away from some of the easier, you know, shots they got in the beginning of the game. But I still thought there was too many jumpers in the, in the, uh, you know, end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, there was a few series where there was, it seemed like five, six possessions in a row where it was one pass or no pass and somebody taking an 18 footer or a 20 footer. And sometimes those are, you miss those, it turns into a long rebound and the Lakers are going the other way. So, I think, you know, I gave the Lakers credit for being able to come back when it looked very bleak for them, but I thought the Pelicans probably contributed to that a little bit by not sticking with what had worked earlier in the night. I'm going to get to Jameer Nelson in a second, but I did want to point out the guard play for the Pelicans last night, uh, specifically Etwan Moore and Ian Clark. Both those guys have had two good games uh, against Golden State and L.A. Moore with 19 points, 8 of 9 shooting, and Clark 14 points on 6 of 9 shooting, uh, what what have you seen from them that is uh, encouraging you about how they've been playing so far? Yeah, Ian Clark has been great. I mean, I think he had a quiet first game, the game at, at Memphis in his hometown. But um, last couple of games, he's just been lights out. Uh, Etuan, between Etuan and him, last night they were 14 for 18 from the field, which is incredible efficiency, from especially from guards. 
where you don't you don't expect them to shoot 60 70 percent from the field like they did so um they were also five for nine on three pointers combined last night so yeah they they gave they gave you exactly what you you hope for and and want from them um not sure exactly how to what to attribute that to but I, I think in Ian's case, I think he just he's just a better player than people realize. I think the role that he was in, you know, people – I think one of the big questions with him this year was, like, he's going from a situation where he's surrounded by great players to, you know, coming here where, you know, obviously this, this is has a team has a lot of talent, but it's not Golden State. No one really is right now in today's NBA. But could he, you know, continue to play the way he did with Golden State or even, you know – improve his play on a different team in a different situation and so far he's it's been really encouraging the way he's played what was really encouraging last night was the play of Jameer Nelson who spent four hours in a car six uh, hours on a plane played 24 minutes five points five assists but just his presence on the floor I think was a big part in the Pelicans holding on and getting that win last night don't you think yeah and you know I was talking to somebody during the game last night about uh from another team about how one of the keys to sometimes to road success is having a steadying presence on the court. Somebody, especially a point guard, that's a spot where you need somebody a lot of times that has savvy and makes good decisions and can kind of calm the team down. He made a bunch of big plays. Obviously his three pointer was a minute 26. I think it was left in the game was, was a pretty much a backbreaker for the Lakers chances of trying to win. Um, but he, he, uh, he was really exactly what they needed last night. And so, which was great to see, considering, like you said, how little preparation time he had. It was just a matter of just going out there and going by instincts and all the experience that he's racked up in the NBA so far to be able to, you know, deal with a situation like that and just still be an impactful guy that was really pivotal in the game. Jim, we're three games in. The team is one and two. Tough games against Memphis, Golden State. You do beat a Lakers team that. In my opinion, you should have beaten no matter what the situation is. But I know it's so hard for fans and us to figure out an identity of this team. And I also think, well, maybe it's hard to figure out an identity when you're only three games in. How much time do you give this team as far as where they are and how we can you know, sort of judge uh, their progression uh, throughout this first part of the season? That's tough to say because I feel like there's almost going to be two different ways to measure that. Um the the twelve game stretch that we've talked about a few times recently, where you start out with eight on the road and only four at home, and some of those home games um, are against the best teams in the league. To me, that's one segment of the season, and it actually could could um, turn out to be the stretch that close to or maybe exactly what Rajon Rondo misses. So to me, there's going to be two different evaluation periods. There's going to be the one that is maybe the first ten twelve games or whatever it is where you have this really tough schedule and you're playing without Rajon Rondo, but then you kind of have, you're going to have to kind of reset, I think, and evaluate again after he comes back to see, you know, the impact that he makes. Um, Obviously Jameer Nelson was a huge pickup and helps at point guard tremendously. But um, when, when when Rajon comes back, it's going to be another case of, of, uh, you know, that the guy's going to be able to make a, make a huge difference in terms of how the offense runs and just being able to fill, the, all of the point guard minutes to me now between Rondo and Jameer Nelson, be, being able to fill all of those with somebody that has as much experience as those two guys have, um, I think is going to be huge. 
All right, before I let you go here, uh, let's do a little mini road trip preview of the next couple of games. You had the Portland Trailblazers, who are 2-1. and one. All those games coming on the road. This is their home opener, and obviously in the Moda Center is a tough place to play for anyone, get alone the Pelicans. And then you have Sacramento, which we all know is a huge game for reasons that are pretty obvious. That is DeMarcus Cousins making his mm -hmm. debut. So uh, kind of give me a guideline to these next two games on the road. Well, I think Portland's off to a great start. I know they could almost be, they could easily be three and zero. They lost a close one to Milwaukee, but the first two games they won huge um, against, I think it was Phoenix and then Indiana. So um, they they're they're going to be a tough team. It seems like Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, I know, pose problems for everyone, but in particular the Pelicans. The last couple of years, they've been really good. I remember McCollum really had his breakout game in his NBA career against New Orleans, um, had 30-something in the opener a couple of years ago. So, you know, those two guys are always somebody that you – guys that you worry about. And I think, you know, that's that's always a tough place to play in the four years that I've traveled with the team. The only win that Pelicans have gotten in Portland was game 82 last season, which was, you know, kind of a meaningless game in terms of the standings. It was a, just an opportunity for – the Pelicans to play a bunch of young guys and a chance for the Trailblazers to rest people as they prepared for their you know first round playoff series last year against Golden State. Um, in terms of Sacramento, I think they're um, they had a rough game against uh, Denver the other night, but they they were pretty competitive in their first two games. And I think with the veteran guys that they've added in George Hill, um, Zach Randolph, and Vince Carter, there's a chance that they're going to be more competitive this year than people think. I know no one's predicting them to make the playoffs or maybe even, you know, approach 500 or whatever, but um, people who thought maybe they'd win 20, 25 games, they, you might already be adjusting that a little bit because um, just with those veteran guys, I think it just gives them a lot better chance to be competitive and be in, in a lot of games, you know, right away. And as opposed to their, like last season at the end of the season, they played a bunch of young guys and, um, you know, a lot of times you can't win in the NBA with just young players. So I think both games will be interesting to me, and both games are definitely going to be challenges for New Orleans. No doubt about that. Hopefully the Pelicans come home with a winning record on the road, and it starts again tomorrow against the Portland Trailblazers. Jim offer from Pelicans.com. Jim, enjoy your, I would say, a day off, even though you're about to go to practice for the Pelicans. Enjoy a day in Portland, and we'll talk to you tomorrow, my friend. Great. Thanks, Daniel. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Big thanks to John DeShazer and Jim Mike Knopfer, and, of course, to Marcus Cousins, his post-game presser from last night against the Lakers. We'll be back on Wednesday, and we'll get you ready for Pelic or Saints and Bears, and hopefully we're recapping a win between the Pelicans and the Trailblazers. Until Wednesday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Black and Blue Report.